Chapter 8 of Taris Bulba by Gogol. Translated by Isabel Hapgood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The sun had not scaled half the height of heaven when all the Cossacks assembled in a group. News had arrived from the Siech that the Tatars, during the Cossacks' absence, had plundered it thoroughly, had dug up the treasures which the Cossacks kept buried in the ground, had killed or carried away into captivity all who remained, and had straightway set out with all the flocks and droves of horses they had collected for Perikop. One Cossack only, Maxim Goloducha, had torn himself out of the Tatars' hands on the road, had stabbed the Mirza, had unbound his bag of sequins, and on a Tatar horse in Tatar garments had fled before his pursuers for two nights and a day and a half, ridden his horse to death, changed to another, killed that one also, and arrived at the Zaporozhian camp upon a third, having learned on the way that the Zaporozhsi were before Dubno. He only succeeded in informing them that this misfortune had happened. But how it had happened, whether the Zaporozhsi who had remained behind had been carousing in Cossack fashion and had been carried drunk into captivity, and how the Tatars had learned in what spot the treasures of the army were buried, he said nothing. The Cossack was extremely tired, he was all swollen, and his face was burned and scorched by the wind. He fell down at once, and a deep sleep overpowered him. In such cases, it was customary for the Koshevoy to pursue the brigands on the instant, endeavouring to overtake them on the road, for the prisoners might find themselves promptly in the bazaars of Asia Minor, in Smyrna, or the island of Crete, and God knows in what places the scout-locked heads of Zaporozhsi might not be seen. This was the reason of the Cossacks assembling, they all stood to a man with their caps on, for they were not come together at the word of command of their ruling Ataman, but to take counsel together as equals with equals. Let the old men first advise, rose a shout from the crowd. Let the Koshevoy give his opinion, said others. And the Koshevoy, doffing his cap, not as commander, but as a comrade among comrades, thanked all the Cossacks for the honour and said, There are among us many old men and those who are wiser in counsel. But since you have deemed me worthy, this is my advice. Not to lose any time, comrades, but to pursue the Tatars, for you know yourselves what sort of a man the Tatar is. He will not pause with his stolen booty to await our coming, but will vanish in a twinkling, so that you can find no trace of him. Therefore, this is my counsel. Go. We have already diverted ourselves sufficiently here. The Liaks know what the Cossacks are like. We have avenged our faith to the extent of our powers. There's not much to satisfy greed in this famished city. And so my advice is, go. Go! rang heavily through the Zaporozhian Karens. But such words did not suit Taras Bulba's mood at all. And he brought his frowning iron-grey brows still lower down over his eyes, like bushes growing on a dark lofty mountain, whose crests are suddenly covered with prickly northern frost. No, Koshevoy, your counsel is not good, said he. You have not spoken aright. Evidently, you have forgotten that our men captured by the Liaks will remain prisoners. Evidently, you wish that we should not respect the first holy law of comradeship, that we should leave our brethren to be flayed alive or to be carried about through the towns and villages after their Cossack bodies have been quartered, as was done with the hetman and the bravest warriors in the Ukraine. Have not they already blasphemed sufficiently against the holy things without that? What are we? I ask you all, 
What sort of a Cossack would he be who should desert his comrade in misfortune and let him perish like a dog in a foreign land? If it has come to such a pass that no one has any confidence in Cossack honour, permitting himself to spit upon his grey moustache and upbraid him with offensive words, then no one will blame me. I will remain here alone. All the Zaporozhsi then who stood there wavered. And have you forgotten, brave colonel, said the Koshevoy, that the Tatars also have our comrades in their hands, that if we do not rescue them now, they will be sold into everlasting captivity among the infidels, which is worse than the most cruel death. Have you forgotten that they now hold all our treasure won by Christian blood? All the Cossacks pondered and knew not what to say. None of them wished to merit disgraceful renown. Then there stepped out in front of them the oldest in years of all the Zaporozhian army, Kasyan Bovdyug. He was respected by all the Cossacks. Twice had he been elected Koshevoy, and he had also been a very brave Cossack in the wars. But he had long been old and had been upon no expeditions. Neither did the old man like to give advice to anyone, but he loved to lie constantly on his side in the circle of Cossacks, listening to the tale of every occurrence on the Cossack marches. He never joined in the conversation, but merely listened, and with his finger pressed the ashes down in the short pipe, which never left his mouth. And then he would sit long with his eyes half open, and the Cossacks never knew whether he were asleep or still listening. He always stayed at home during their expeditions, but on this occasion, the whim to take part had seized upon the old man. He waved his hand in Cossack fashion and said, so be it. I'm going also. Perhaps I may be of some service to the Cossack nation. All the Cossacks fell silent when he now stepped forward before the assembly, for it was long since any speech from him had been heard. Each man wanted to know what Bovdyug had to say. It's my turn to speak a word, brother nobles, he began. Listen, my lads, to an old man. The Koshevoy spoke wisely and as the head of the Cossack army, and bound to protect it. And regretting the treasures of the army, he could have said nothing wiser. That's a fact. That's my first speech. And now, hearken to my second, and this is my second speech. Colonel Taras has spoken even more truly, God grant him many years, and that such colonels as he may be plentiful in the Ukraine. The first duty and the first honour of a Cossack is to uphold comradeship. Never in all my life, brother nobles, have I heard of any Cossack deserting or selling any of his comrades. The men there and the men here are equally our comrades, whether they be few or many, and all are dear to us. So, this is my speech. Let those to whom the prisoners captured by the Tatars are dear set out after the Tatars. And let those to whom the captives of the Poles are dear and who do not wish to desert a righteous cause stay behind. The Koshevoy, in accordance with his duty, will accompany one half in pursuit of the Tatars and the other half may choose a temporary Ataman to lead them. But if you will heed the words of an old man... There is no one more fit to act as temporary Ataman than Taras Bulba. Not one of us is his equal in valour. Thus spoke Bovdyug and paused, 
and all the Cossacks rejoiced that the old man had, in this manner, set them to rights. All tossed up their caps and shouted, Thanks, Batko! He has been silent, silent for a long time, but he has spoken at last. Not in vain did he say, when we were preparing for this expedition, that he might be useful to the Cossack nation. Even so has it come to pass. Well, are you agreed upon anything? asked the Koshavoy. We are, shouted the Cossacks. Then the council is at an end? It is, shouted the Cossacks. Then listen to the military command, my lads, said the Koshavoy, stepping forward and putting on his cap. And all the Cossacks took off their caps and stood with heads uncovered and eyes fixed upon the earth, as was always the custom among the Cossacks when the leader prepared to speak. Now divide yourselves, brother nobles. Let those who wish to go take their stand on the right, and those who wish to stay on the left. Where the majority of a Karen goes, then the rest are to go. If a minority of a Karen goes over, it must be added to another Karen. And they began to take up their positions, some on the right, some on the left. Whither the majority of a Karen went, there the Ataman went also. And where there was a minority, the Karen attached itself to another Karen. And it came out pretty even on both sides. Those who wished to remain were nearly the whole of the Nezamaikovsky Karen, the larger half of the Popovichevsky Karen, the entire Umansky Karen, the entire Konevsky Karen, and the larger half of the Steblikivsky and Timoshevsky Karens. All the rest offered to go in pursuit of the Tatars. On both sides were many stalwart and valorous Cossacks. Among those who decided to pursue the Tatars were Cherovati and the good old Cossacks, Pokotipole, Lemish and Koma Prokopovich. Demid Popovich also went in that party, because he was a Cossack of very restless disposition, and he could not stay still long in one place. He had tried his hand on the Liaks, and now wanted to try it on the Tatars also. The Atamans of Karens were Nostugan, Pokrishka, Nevinsky, and many other brave and renowned Cossacks who wished to put their swords and their brawny shoulders to the test in an encounter with the Tatars. There were, likewise, very brave Cossacks, not a few among those who elected to remain. The Karen Atamans Dmitrovich, Kukubenko, Vertikvist, Balan, and Bulbas Ostap. Beside these, there were many valiant and distinguished Cossacks. Vovtuzenko, Cherovichenko, Stepan Guzka, Okrim Guzka, Mikola Guzci, Zorodozhny, Metalitsa, Ivan Zakrutiguba, Mosil Shilo, Degtyarenko, Sidorenko, Pisarenko, a second Pisarenko, and still another Pisarenko, and many other good Cossacks. All of them had had great experience and had travelled far and wide. They had been on the shores of Anatolia, on the salt marshes and the steppes of the Crimea, on all the rivers, great and small, which empty into the Dnieper, and on all the fords and islands of the Dnieper. They had been in Moldavia, Wallachia and the Turkish land. They had sailed all over the Black Sea in their double-rudded Cossack boats. They had attacked with fifty skiffs in line the tallest and richest ships. They had sunk many a Turkish galley and had burned much, very much powder in their day. More than once had they torn up velvets and rich stuffs of cotton and silk for foot wrappers. Many a time had they beaten out buckles for the straps which confined their full trousers from the sequins of pure gold. And every one of them had drunk up and revelled away as much as would have sufficed any other man for a whole lifetime, and there was nothing to show for it. They had squandered it all, like Cossacks, in treating all the world and in hiring music so that everyone might be merry. Even now, rare was the man among them who had not some property.
tankards, silver porringers, bracelets buried under the reeds of the islands of the Dnieper in order that the Tatars might not find them if, in case of disaster, they should succeed in making a sudden attack on the Siege. But it would have been difficult for a Tatar to find them, for the owner himself was already beginning to forget where he had buried them. Such were the Cossacks who wished to remain and take vengeance on the Liaks for their trusty comrades and the faith of Christ. The aged Cossack Bovdug also wished to remain with them, saying, My years do not permit me to pursue the Tatars, but this is the place where I may lie down in a good Cossack death. Long have I prayed to God that when my life was to end, I might end it in a war for a holy and Christian cause, and so it has come to pass. There can be no more glorious end in any other place for the old Cossack. When they had all separated and had ranged themselves in two lines on opposite sides, the Koshevoy passed through the ranks and said, Well, brother nobles, are the two parties satisfied with each other? Yes, all satisfied, Batko, replied the Cossacks. Then kiss one another and say goodbye, for God knows whether you will ever see each other again in this life. Obey your ataman and do what your duty bids you. You yourselves know what Cossack honour commands. And all the Cossacks began to exchange kisses. The Atamans were the first to begin. Stroking down their grey moustaches, they kissed each other in cross form, then grasping each other's hands and squeezing them firmly, each wanted to say to the other, Well, sir brother, shall we meet again or not? But they did not ask the question. They kept silent, and both grey heads speculated on the future. Then the Cossacks took leave of one another, to the last man, knowing well that both parties had a great deal of work before them. But they were not obliged to part at once. They had to wait until dark night, in order that the enemy might not notice the diminution in the Cossack army. Then they all went off, by Karenz, to dine. After dinner, all who had the journey before them lay down to rest, and fell into a deep and long sleep, as though foreseeing that it was, perhaps, the last sleep they would taste in such freedom. They slept even until sunset, and when the sun had gone down and twilight had descended to a certain degree, they began to grease their carts. When everything was in readiness, they sent the wagons on ahead, and having doffed their caps once more to their comrades, they quickly followed the transports. The cavalry, with dignity, without shouts or whistling at the horses, trampled lightly after the foot soldiers, and all speedily vanished in the darkness. The only sound was the dull thud of horses' hoofs, or the creaking of some wheel which had not got into working order or had not been properly greased because of the darkness of the night. Their comrades stood for a long time waving their hands to them from afar, though nothing could be seen. But when they returned to their places, when they perceived by the light of the brightly gleaming stars that half the carts were gone, and many, many of their comrades, then every man's heart grew sad, and all involuntarily became pensive, and their pleasure-loving heads drooped towards the earth. Taras saw how troubled the Cossacks had become, and that sadness, unfitting for brave men, had begun quietly to overmaster their heads. But he remained silent. He wished to give them all the time to become accustomed to the melancholy caused by their parting from their comrades. But meantime, he was quietly preparing to arouse them suddenly, and all at once, by a loud war-whoop in Cossack fashion, in order that they might return afresh, and with greater strength than before, to the soul of each, that valour of which only the Slav race, a broad and powerful race, which is to others what the sea is to shallow rivers, is capable. In stormy times it turns all to roaring and thunder, 
raging and raising such waves as weak rivers cannot throw up. But when it is windless and quiet, clearer than any river, it spreads its boundless glassy surface, a constant delight to the eye. And Taras ordered his servitors to unload one of the wagons which stood apart from the rest. It was larger and stronger than any other in the Cossack camp. Stout, double tyres encircled its huge wheels. It was heavily laden, covered with horse cloths and strong wolf skins, and firmly bound with tightly drawn tarred ropes. In the wagon were flasks and casks of good old wine, which had lain long in Taras's cellars. He had brought it along as a reserve, to celebrate some occasion, in case a grand moment should arrive, when there awaited them some deed worthy of being handed down to posterity, so that each Cossack, to the very last man, might quaff the forbidden liquor and be inspired with a grand sentiment befitting the grand moment. On receiving their colonel's command, the servants hasted to the wagon, hewed the stout ropes with their swords, removed the thick wolfskins and horse cloths, and drew forth the flasks and casks. Take it, all of you, said Bulba. All of you, no matter how many there are, take it in whatever you have, a ladle or a bucket for watering the horses, or your sleeve, or your cap, but if you have nothing else, then simply hold your two fists under. And all the Cossacks seized something. One took a ladle, another a horse bucket, another a sleeve, another a cap, and still another held out both his hands. Taras's servants, making their way among the ranks, poured out for all from the casks and flasks. But Taras ordered them not to drink until he should give the signal for all to drink together. It was evident that he wished to say something. Taras knew that, no matter how strong in itself the good old wine might be, and however fitted to strengthen the spirit of man, yet if a suitable speech were linked with it, then the strength of the wine and of the spirit would be doubly great. I treat you, sir brothers, thus spoke Bulba, not in honour of your having made me your ataman, great as that honour is, nor to celebrate our parting from our comrades. No. Both these would be fitting at a different time, but not such is the present moment. The work before us is great in labour and in glory for the Cossacks. Let us therefore, comrades, drink all together. Let us drink before all else to the holy orthodox faith that the day may come at last when it may be spread over all the world, and that everywhere there may be but one faith, and that all Muslims may become Christians. And let us drink also, all together, to the Sietch, that it may stand long for the destruction of the Muslims, that each year there may issue forth from it young men, each better, each handsomer than the other. And let us also drink, all together, to our own glory, that our grandsons and the sons of those grandsons may say that there once were men who were not ashamed of comradeship and who never betrayed one another. Now, to the faith, sir brothers, to the faith, to the faith, shouted with thick voices those who were standing in nearby ranks. To the faith, those more distant took up the cry, and all, both young and old, drank to the faith. To the Sietch, said Taras, raising his hand high above his head. To the Sietch! echoed the foremost ranks. To the Sietch, said the old men softly, twitching their grey moustaches. And eagerly as young hawks, the youths repeated, To the Sietch! And the distant plain heard how the Cossacks commemorated their Sietch. Now, 
a last draft, comrades, to the glory of all Christians now living in the world. And every Cossack drank a last draft to the glory of all Christians in the world. And among the ranks, in all the Karens, they long repeated, for all the Christians in the world. The ladles were empty, but the Cossacks still stood with their hands uplifted. Although the eyes of all gleamed cheerily with the liquor, all were thinking deeply. Not of greed or of the spoils of war were they thinking now, nor of which of them would be lucky enough to acquire ducats, fine weapons, embroidered caftans and Circassian horses. But they were meditating like eagles perched upon the rocky crests of lofty precipitous mountains, from which far away the boundless sea is visible, dotted as with tiny birds, with galleys, ships and every sort of vessel, confined at the sides by scarcely visible thin lines of shore with their sea-coast cities like gnats, and their bending forests like short grass. Like eagles they gazed about them, all over the plain, and at their fate darkling in the distance. It will come, all the plain, with its wastelands, and its road tracks will be covered with their white protruding bones, lavishly washed with their Cossack blood, and strewn with shattered wagons and splintered swords and spears. Far afield will be strewn the scalp-locked heads with downward drooping moustaches. The eagles will swoop down and tear out their Cossack eyes. But there is great good in this so widely and boldly broadcast bivouac of death. Not a single magnanimous deed will perish, and the Cossack glory will not be lost like a tiny grain of powder from a gun barrel. He will come, the Bandura player, with grey beard falling upon his breast, will come. And perhaps the old man, still full of ripe manly strength, though his head is white with years, eloquent by the spirit, will utter ringing, mighty words of them, and their glory shall resound through all the world, and all who shall be born thereafter shall speak of them. For the word of power is born afar, reverberating like a booming, brazen bell, in which the maker has mingled much pure silver, that its beautiful sound may be wafted far and wide through cities, huts, palaces and villages, summoning all men, without exception, to hold orisons. End of chapter 8